From 1975 to 1990, Lebanon was in the midst of a civil war. Its factions within were constantly in conflict. Allies had become enemies, and then once again allies. There were terrorist acts, massacres, blackouts, and a city that was once called the Paris of the Middle East was completely desecrated time and time again. That city was Beirut, and my family are Armenians who lived in Beirut. My grandparents stayed in Lebanon during the Civil War, always hoping and thinking that the war would end and that they would be able to return back to a life that resembled normalcy. But that did not happen until today, Lebanon continues to struggle with itself. One of the most challenging aspects of the war was the Israeli invasion. It's a complicated history and one that cannot be recounted in a simple introduction for an interview on a radio program. But Israel came into Lebanon with young soldiers not knowing what they were doing, listening to orders they couldn't reason, and shooting at anything that moved. Director Ari Folman was a soldier in the Israeli army during the invasion of Lebanon, and he witnessed a particularly bloody and shocking aspect, the massacres at the Sabra and Shatila Palestinian refugee camps. He wanted to make a film about the war, and in particular about the complicated and intangible memories of that time. He made this film, and it's called Waltz with Bashir. The premise is this. A friend comes to Ari and tells him about a recurring nightmare he's having. He dreams that 26, exactly 26, vicious dogs are chasing him through the streets of Tel Aviv. With their gnarled teeth and their menacing eyes, they threaten death and torture. He never gets caught, but every night the dream comes back. Ari wonders, why 26? And his friend shares that while in the army, his commander knew he couldn't kill people, so he was asked to kill dogs instead, since dogs seemed to alert a town of oncoming strangers. He had killed 26 dogs in his tour with the army, and these killings were haunting him today. In Waltz with Bashir, Fulman realizes that he's blocked out this part of his memory, particularly the part of the massacres at the Palestinian camps. So he goes on a journey, tracking down people he had been a soldier with and unearthing stories of his time in the army. He speaks with friends, doctors, experts of post-traumatic stress disorder, and he also speaks with the very first journalist who entered the Sabra and Shatila camps after the massacre. Inspired by memory and emotion, Waltz with Bashir is animated. It was filmed first, and then animators drew images inspired from the film. My name is Tani Katenjin, this is Sight Unseen, and I spoke with Ari Fulman when he came to San Francisco to speak about his work. As you'll hear later in the show, he mortgaged his house and took massive loans to create this film, because he had to, because he knew it would be worth it. As a contender for the Academy Awards, he may have been completely correct. Here, I mentioned to him that I was thinking of doing an article on the film for a paper in Abu Dhabi. Stay tuned for his response on that and much more. They wrote about the, the film in the Shark al Ausat in uh, Saudi Arabia. It's the most famous uh, Arab newspaper. And, and what did they say about it? They praised it, basically. They, 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 they were for the film. 
You know, I I think the thing that I want to start off with is is um is uh, the notion of memory and and it being ref- reflected in the way that you chose to represent it in animation, and how um, memory is this loose thing, this loose and and sometimes challenging thing to grasp, and yeah. just that that process for you. You know, before I flew here, I saw this sports show and they interviewed the captain of my favorite team and they asked him why do all football players date models top models and you know what he said <laughs> he said because we can and you can't and I did this feminine animation because I could and I always wanted to do an animated feature film and uh, it really gives you a It gives you total freedom to go from one dimension to another. Uh, going from, you know, if you look at all the elements you have in the film, memory, lost memory, dream, subconscious, conscious. Hallucinations. If you think how you can combine everything into one storyline, so maybe animation is the best way to do it. So this is why the film is animated. You said freedom to move from one dimension to another. Yes. So where do you feel that in your life, that freedom to move from one dimension to another? Like, when does that happen to you? <clears throat> it happens to me. It happens to me every day. While I daydream, I have visions. I imagine my next film. I know most of the time I'm just imagining things. So <laughs> I think that it's not that big deal going from dreams to reality because it's, it's part of life. Maybe some people are not aware of it, but this is it. Did you, have you always been that way? Is that what made you decide that you know, to, it would only make sense to you to manifest what your daydreams are and to... into actual tangible things like films or I, I was always um, on the verge between reality and fantasy so for some people that's you know almost a psychosis is it well maybe I am <laughs> maybe I am you know psychiatrically disturbed but I haven't been diagnosed yet, so uh, <laughs> we don't know that. So let's talk about, let's talk about Waltz with Bashir itself, because it, it um, you know, I mean, I think that there are lots of fantastic qualities to it that are accurate, because there's a lot of fantastic qualities to memory and, and to war itself. You said that you had really suffered a lot while making this, this piece. I didn't piece. say that. Did you not? No. You said it was really emotionally, really just difficult. I, I heard this quote from some journalist. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Sonny put it, maybe they think, maybe they think it sells the, the film better, but I, I never suffered making this film. <laughs> this is the truth. I mean, I could say I suffered a lot, but I didn't suffer. I mean, I was having, I was having fun, you know, making this film most of the time. I mean, listen. It took me a while to take the decision. While, once I took the decision to go through this journey, it was easy. 
making the film was tough with what we had. I mean, in terms of budget <coughs> and men to do it, uh, not men, I mean, mm -hmm. you say men to do it, or you say uh, people, most of them were women in the old. I mean, the, the, the therapeutic journey was fun. I mean, I was traveling, I met people I haven't been seeing for 20 years. I put a lot of effort not to see them, not to speak with them. So it was like a reunion in many aspects. And um, that was not that bad. Can you talk, you said, you, you said journey, so tell me what the journey was. It started with a friend telling you about their memory. No, it started um, before my friend. And not everything you see in the film is everything. You know? <laughs> there is more to it always. It started five years ago. I wanted an early release from the Israeli Reserve Army. In Israel, you serve three years in the army, and then you serve in the reserve something between two weeks and a month. And I was a screenwriter in the reserve. I wrote really silly instruction movies, how to defend yourself from an atomic attack <laughs> in one minute, you know? Stuff like that. And I am, I mean, I didn't do anything really seriously, but I, I was fed up. So I asked for an early release. They told me, okay, you can have an early release as long as you go to see the Army's therapist and tell him everything you went through during your service. And I did that. And I went for 10 sessions, and um, when I finished them, I realized that it was the first time for me to hear those stories, and it was pretty amazing. Not the stories, but the fact that I never heard them before. And then came my friend with the dream that dogs are haunting him in the streets of Tel Aviv. And then it all started, and then I went, you know, to do the film. Why did your friend not want to be in the film? Why was he uncomfortable with that? You really want to know? Mm -hmm. He didn't want people in work to know that he smokes joints. <laughs> really, it just... It, it, incredible. But he was okay with people knowing that he suffers. 66, 26 dogs, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Sometimes you can't really understand people, you know, but you have to respect them anyhow. So <clears throat> I respect all my interviewers, and I can tell you that my best friends from that era, that period of my life, they disappeared completely. They had a disappearing act. You know what's a disappearing act? Just when I started working on the film, I never saw them anymore. They didn't answer my phones, nothing. So, and I respected that. I didn't mind. I mean... You can't, you can't make anyone expose himself. I mean, it's up to him. So they, they, before, before that, they were actually good friends of yours? You would see them? and I see them now. They came back after the film is complete, you know. They're not aimed anymore. Can you describe going to Amsterdam and seeing, seeing your close friend in Amsterdam? He's an interesting character. He's hard to figure out. I mean, when I first saw him, I thought, well, you know, he's maybe artistic type. This guy uh, was a prodigy. Uh, he was meant to be, you know, something. Scientist, worldwide, something. 
and it comes from a family of scientists, and uh, everything worked okay for him. But, I mean, after the war, where he experienced some tough things that some of them are in the movie and most of them are not. He just couldn't do anything. So um, this new age, you know, thing of going to Pune in India, into an ashram and trying to find yourself, this thing that was so trendy in the 90s, he did it 10 years earlier. And uh, he went so deep into it that, I mean, it fulfilled his whole life. He, he, was, he was, I mean, this was his life for many years. Which is, which is cool, it's okay, it was his choice. As long as you don't feel that you, you don't, I mean, miss anything in life, so it's okay. He's quite a character, he's tough. Why, why is he tough, what is it about him that's tough? Just tough, you know, some people are tough. Some people are not easygoing like you and me, they're <laughs> tough. It's, you know, someone that did seem really easygoing was, I think it's your best friend. He he has red hair, and he seemed really... He's easygoing. Yeah. D- tell me tell me about him. He is my best friend from childhood, and we made a couple of films together. I My first feature film I did with him, it's called St. Clara. Actually, he was in San Francisco with it. He screened it here years ago. He uh, invented the series in treatment you have here, HBO, you know that? Gabriel Byron. I wrote a few episodes there. We were never given the credit, of course, because um, it's HBO, but we don't care. Uh, no, it's true. They bought the whole screenplays that we did in Israel. They translated them. They even didn't change the, the names of the, the supporting actors. And I mean, somebody else was titled as a screenwriter because we are not in the American Guild of Writers. Mm. Very American, this story. And, uh, but he invented it, the whole concept of the show. Did you, s- did you really see the ser- show? No, I've never seen it. Ah, I you don't know what it is. You know what it is? I don't have, I don't have TV, so I don't watch TV. Oh, okay, wow. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, he seemed like such a lovely person and very, a very good confidant. Someone that you could really turn to and would look at you without judgment, because because you were going through what looked like a very challenging, seemed like a challenging uh, time. A, I mean, he always was there for me when I was having crises, usually about women, you know, not about wars. And uh, I mean, since we were kids, so he was there, and uh, he played this role again in this film. I was trying to shape an idea for how I would want to make a piece out of this, not just this interview, but develop it in, in other ways. So I went to my grandma and I said, would you be willing for me to interview you about you know, what you saw during the massacre? Because she was living on the Green Line. My point is is that there's an interesting f- feeling that, com- that you, I walk away with from the film, this love that you have for your country, it seems to me, but this anger and, and, and confusion as well towards things that, you felt you were made to do and, and ways in which you were um, coerced or convinced that it was okay. So what is that feeling? Am I, am I wrong about that? What's your feeling about... I imagine you live there. By the way you act just now, you have this sort of... You're not obviously not, not living in America. 
<laughs> you just have this very casual way about you that wants to have a conversation. I've been thinking about it a lot, you know, about how Israeli I am or not, but I am in many ways. Um, the problem I have is a more general problem with wars in general. You know, of course, uh, it is more personal when it comes to where I live and what I did in my life, but they're all the same, unfortunately. They are all a very useless idea, no matter where they take place. You know, I, 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 last night, I saw Bush on the television, it was, and I thought, no, no, seriously, it was extraordinary. He said, you know what, maybe I did a mistake. This is what he said, in other words, right? Yesterday, you don't have television. Yeah, we we're going for a small operation because we thought they were having nuclear power in Iraq. Eventually they didn't, and you know what, maybe it was a mistake. Yeah, was it a mistake, you know? I don't know how many, 100,000 at least Iraqi people died there, 5,000 US soldiers died there, you, you did a mistake? And this freaks me out. And it, it happens in Israel, and it happens here, and the fact that those stupid leaders, really, with big egos, they are so easy with sending people to die for the cause of nothing. This makes you crazy. And um, this is why I think that my film has a universal statement in many ways. Because the story of the film could have been told by uh, an ex-American soldier in Vietnam, an ex-Russian soldier in Afghanistan. It could have been told by anyone who experienced, you know, waking up one morning in a very remote city and he's being shot at, and he, he asks us, what the hell am I doing here? I mean, it has nothing to do with my life, my family, my love life. It's, it has nothing in connection with me. So in that manner, I think it's a universal kind of film. What's particular to it is obviously, and I, I totally agree with that, And but what's particular to it is that we so rarely hear about the the uh, Israeli invasion of, of Lebanon and the Lebanese civil war is so rarely discussed. I mean, there are so few films about it. To use a, a therapeutic term, a therapy term, the post-traumatic stress disorder that Vietnam veterans have experienced or Iraqi veterans is much more publicized, but you don't hear, hear about it so much with Israelis and, and their own experiences in war. No, maybe you're right. Maybe you don't hear about it. I mean, in Israel, you hear about it. But uh, it's not a thing that you flag with, you know, um, in many places and in many societies and in Israel as well, I think. So how do you, how do you feel about Israel, though? What do you, what's your feelings to, feeling towards that country? And I know that there are lots of levels to it. And I'm just, what's that relationship like? I mean, the relationship, I think, to a place where you're from is kind of the relationship like you have with a person. It has many dimensions. I don't know. I mean, I try to imagine myself living in different places many times. And uh, maybe I'll do it for a short period of time, like 
you know, I was uh, going around with my parents as a kid, but um, eventually I will always be back home because this is home. Of course I have problems with the place, but I'm this very optimistic kind of guy. And uh, if I weren't optimistic, I wouldn't do this film, believe me. I mortgaged my house for doing it. I took crazy loans because I knew that in the end it will work out and will make a beautiful film. Same I think about my country. I think in the end, people are fed up with the conflicts. They can't stand it anymore. And once we have real leaders that the people can trust, I mean, you can't trust a leader to sign a peace treaty if he steals money, you know, to his pockets. So once we have honest people strong enough to compromise and to go for treaties, to sign the contracts, I mean, they will be followed. And uh, the land itself is beautiful. Uh, the place is amazing. You should visit there. It has everything in it. If, if it was a place of peace and harmony, it probably would be, you know, like heaven. So maybe one day. That's what they say about Lebanon too, that it has everything. Lebanon is much more complex. It's much more complex. Too many parties and it's like, oh, just to explain it to you, Maybe you know, but to other people who are clueless about Lebanon, it's, it's, it's endless. I want to ask you a question. Ask me a question. Okay. What is more true? A person that appears to you in your TV set, you don't have one, but on the screen, talking to you, and his image was shot in digital camera, and is it pixelized? And is ma mainly he's consisting is is made out of dots and lines, or the same person with the same voice that has been beautifully drawn by a great illustrator for six months? Who decides that the pixelized image, which is dots, anyhow, is more real than than this beautiful painting? Speaking painting, I mean, is there a higher committee in the sky that says this guy is more real because he was shot by a digital camera? I mean, do those people really sit in your TV set? You can touch them? You want me to answer? Yes. I, well, I mean, on some levels, I think neither is really true. I mean, neither is really the truth. So don't hassle me with the question why animation. You know, so you mortgaged your house, you took out a bunch of loans. Yeah. You knew that this would be an, an important film, but why did you feel like in your life you had to go through this? What, how did it make you a better person? I don't know if I'm a better person. Do you think I'm a better person? I didn't know you before. Well, I don't know. I haven't decided. I think that it just, um, the only change in me, except the fact that when I started this film, I was a single guy having fun. And now, four years later, I have three kids and a family. And that's much more of a change than just making a movie. 
is that if I look uh, at the photo of myself when I was 19 years old, I could hardly recognize the guy in the photo with me. And now I can. No, now I can say, okay, this guy is part of me. Hello, guy, I'm Ari, you're Ari. We can march together towards the known end. You know what I mean? And this is it. Those were the words of Ari Fulman speaking about his animated feature, Waltz with Bashir. Waltz with Bashir is the contender for the Academy Award this year. To learn more about this extraordinary animated film, visit Waltz with Bashir, B-A-S-H-I-R dot com. My name is Sani Katenjin. This is Sight Unseen. You're listening to Resonance 104.4 FM, the UK's first radio art station.